Good afternoon. Welcome. You're here this afternoon to um, hear Asher Intrader give you uh, a message that's on his heart from God. If you have these papers in your packet, this is the paper that talks about Revive Israel Ministries. My name is Holly, and my husband and I work for Asher and Betty Intrader here in the United States. And if you need any further information, you can always contact me through our website, which is listed at the bottom of this sheet. To tell you a little bit about Revive Israel, it's a nonprofit organization in Israel that has three primary focuses, and that is personal evangelism, discipleship training, and congregational planning. And all three of those foci, I guess you would say, is to be done in the power of the Holy Spirit because it's going to take the Holy Spirit's power to reach the Jewish people. Asher and Betty's heart in particular is focused in on the native-born Israeli. So when they're in Israel, they're speaking in Hebrew to Sabra Israelis. Asher also is going toward the heart of the ultra-Orthodox in Jerusalem. He desires to present Jesus in a Jewish context in a way that they can understand so that they can look on the one that they've pierced and mourn for him as they would mourn for an only son. It's a privilege to introduce to you Asher, and he's going to share a little bit more. Thank you, Helen. I have also a couple of friends that I want to introduce to you. First of all is uh, Ariel. Ariel, would you stand up, please? Ariel Blumenthal is a Jewish believer, an Israeli citizen, part of our team. And uh, right now he is spending a year in Korea. Ariel has uh, several interesting things about him. One is he's built, he has um, building a, uh, a home, a center, kind of an urban community in downtown Jerusalem. Uh, a, a housing project that he's worked on and he's also is a bridge to the Far East he's an amazing guy he speaks Chinese and Japanese and now is learning Korean he's a um, Yale graduate <laughs> and he's single okay <laughs> write that down if you need to but uh, anyway so if you have an interest in a housing project in downtown Jerusalem or in outreach to the Far East or if you're single, you can talk to him afterwards. Uh, anyway, oh, you have to speak all five languages. All right. I also want to uh, introduce Ray and Christy Wilkerson. Would you two stand up, please? Here's some also dear friends of mine who are the director, the American directors of Ma'o's Ministries uh, in Dallas, Texas. And they work for some very dear friends of mine named Ari and Shira Sorkaram, who we work together with in Tel Aviv in our congregation to Yeshua. And uh, Ari, Ari is the pastor there, and we do everything together, and it's a wonderful ministry. And I want to say, if you want to find out more about their ministry, you can also come over to our table. If you've got materials, I want to invite you to just go ahead and put them on our table, and you can be there. So if you want to find out more about their ministry, you're also welcome to do that. All right? Praise God. Well, um, let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for this time together and we thank you for what you're doing here. Father, we want to understand what your purposes are for this conference, for the people that are gathered here, for the purposes of bringing your kingdom to pass on this earth. Father, we do pray 
that your will would be done in, on this earth as it is in heaven and that your kingdom would come. Father, we want to be actively involved in seeing your kingdom come. In the name of Yeshua. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to try to share softly and briefly today some of the things that are on my heart to lay a little bit of foundation for this evening because I'm, I'm also preaching this evening, so I want to save my voice a little bit. But uh, turn with me, first of all, to John chapter 4. Thinking for those of you that are connected with the ministry here, friends of the bridegroom, one of the first focus is the heart of worship. But then there's also, in Mike Bickle's vision, also connecting that with having prophecy about the end times and also the thing that we're doing here right now, which is the Israel mandate. And I just want to take a moment and show you that the heart of worship and the Israel mandate and end times prophecies are connected together. That's not a coincidence. Let's look in John chapter 4. Let's look in verse 21. There's a famous passage here when Yeshua, Jesus, speaks of the heart of worship. He's speaking to the Samaritan woman. And he says, woman, chapter 4, verse 21. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We, We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. Well, I'm not going to preach on worship because that would be sort of preaching to the choir here. But of course, that is what God is looking for. He's looking for people that love Him, desire Him. He created us to be in in a loving relationship with Him. So that's our purpose here on earth. Anybody that isn't worshiping God is missing the purpose for what we are created. Worship is both our giving glory to God and it is also us enjoying our relationship with Him. At the same time, when we worship, we both give Him glory and we enjoy our relationship with Him. And as the old catechisms used to say, those are the two reasons we were created. To give glory to God and enjoy a relationship with Him. Well, you get to do both of those things when you're worshiping. It's so important. Now, God is spirit. He created us as physical beings. So, for in order to us to worship Him in truth, we've got to worship Him in spirit. You can't just do religious symbolism. You can't just do things with your mind. You're going to have to touch something in the spirit. It's a real experience, a spiritual experience where we touch the heart of God. Well, I hope you know that and that's not what this lesson is about. I want to point out one thing here, though. Jesus said to her, this woman, the hour is coming and now is that those who worship God will not worship Him in Jerusalem. Well, there's two ways to interpret that. And most people interpret it one way, which I happen to think is the wrong way. And I I want to try to adjust that for you. He could have been saying one of two things. Either the temple served a purpose up until now and Jerusalem served a purpose up until now. And now that purpose is over with. So from this point now unto eternity, we will never worship again in Jerusalem. Or he could be saying that... The temple was built and worship was, was taking place out of this, out of the temple. But now, for this next season of time, because of the purposes of God, we won't be worshiping here in Jerusalem, but a time will come when it will come back to Jerusalem and worship will take place there. Well, you can probably, you know, 
sense from me that I believe it's the second interpretation is correct and not the first one. Uh, however, most uh, spirit-filled Christians, spirit-filled believers that I know, really, regardless of what their theology is, they really act as if the first interpretation was true. In other words, that the thing, every connection with Jerusalem and worship was something that took place in the past and is gone. It has no present uh, importance and even no future importance. But let's compare this verse right now with the verse at the end of Zechariah chapter 14. Let's turn back to the book of Zechariah. We'll look at chapter 14. If you're having trouble finding Zechariah, it's right after Haggai. Let's look at uh, Zechariah chapter 14 at the end of the chapter. There's a section here on worship. This passage is speaking of a time that's going to take place at the end, during the millennium. It's a future. It has not yet come to pass. Let's read this together. From verse 16. It says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, that's the last great battle of Armageddon, shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whichever the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain. Well, what I want to point out here is not so much the Feast of Tabernacles, but the fact that the worship will return to the city of Jerusalem. We understand here that the king that will be in Jerusalem is Yeshua. It's Jesus. And we understand in the end times, in the future, He is going to come back and He's going to set up His government in Jerusalem. His government, since He is not just a king, He's also God, will be not just a political center, it will also be a worship center, a spiritual center. And Jesus will be there, Yeshua will be there, and we will have the option to go up there and see Him and worship Him at that place. So the purpose of worshiping in Jerusalem will come back into its, into its importance. So therefore it's provable from this verse that when Yeshua said in John 4 that the time is not now to be worshiping in Jerusalem, that it's clear that He meant for a time period this present age, which we also know from the, from the New Testament. What is this age called? The age of the... Of the Gentiles, well, also of the church, but particularly I'm speaking of the Gentiles. It's a time when Jerusalem would be destroyed, and but it, so obviously we're not going to be worshiping from there. But he said, but he did not mean that a time would not come that worship would be restored back there. So one of the things that when we under when we understand prophetic worship together with the end times is that worship will one day come back to Jerusalem and Jerusalem will one day again be the center. Now, one thing that we understand from New Covenant faith that, the, that they did not have there at the time of Zechariah is that we know who the king is. We've got a big advantage. We know that the king is Yeshua. He's the greater son of David who came. He's returning. He's returning to earth and then we will be able to go up and worship him. So as we worship him now in spirit and truth, one reason is that he's not here. So there's no reason to have a place for us to worship him. But he's coming back. And so when he comes back, the place that he will be then will have relevance again. 
You see, so then we will be able to go to Jerusalem and see him and we'll be able to worship him there. Now, also, it doesn't, it, worship can't come from Jerusalem because during this time period, not only is Jerusalem destroyed, but it's also in the wake of the fact that the people rejected him there and he left. How, so how can you have worship from Jerusalem when he's not there and when they reject him? There's no base to have worship. So now, God has used this for the worship time to go to all the nations of the world and for it to be spiritually based because Yeshua is in heaven. This is an opportunity for us to bring worship into these two dimensions. International, universal, and spiritual, which will always be part of it. Worship will always be universal and always be spiritual, but in the future it will also have a place a location which will be Jerusalem. And although I love IHOP, it won't be Kansas City. Hallelujah. So now I want you to notice there that you have that connection. You have worship in the center, which is, I believe, the center of the mandate here of IHOP. But then you have these two side issues, which are the two side issues here. One is end times prophecies. Here this is coming at after the war of the end times. And the Israel mandate, which is that the worship comes back to take place in Jerusalem. You see, you here have a special mandate, not just to worship, but a prophetic worship to understand where is worship going? What's the, what's the end times implications of it? What is the prophetic implications of worship? See, that's something special about you here, the people that are coming here, and what God wants to build as an international network. But Yeshua is coming back. You know, it's interesting that... Uh, for those of us in, in Jerusalem, do you know that there's many Muslims, you know, half of Jerusalem is Muslim controlled. And when the Muslims in worship, in, in Jerusalem worship, do you know what they do? They turn their backs to the Temple Mount. They turn their backs to the Temple Mount and they face toward Mecca. It's an amazing thing. Right there in Jerusalem, they turn their backs toward Mecca. It's really kind of a... A really symbolic gesture, if you can see this, you know, it's sort of turning your back and going like that. You know, I mean, it's, but, but listen, it's important to understand that. Because in, in my viewpoint, Islam is a, is a worship system that is in direct rebellion against God. Now, the main part of the rebellion is not that they turn their rear ends toward Jerusalem when they pray. However, it does give you a little bit of body language of what's in the heart. Hello. You know, you see, so they're turning toward Mecca. Now, you can understand that. I'm telling you that first because now I want to talk about, you know, where, where the church is at. You can understand that that would be wrong as Muslims would turn toward Mecca to worship because that's not the right place. Now, by the way, just speaking of Islam, that a month and a half ago was the greatest holiday of the Muslim year, which is called the Feast of the Sacrificed. It's amazing. It's the culmination. It's the end of their great fast period of Ramadan. And it's the time when everyone comes up to, to make a pilgrimage to Mecca. And it's called the great day of the feast. I'm sorry, the, the great feast of the sacrifice. And when they mean the great feast of the sacrifice, they are referring to the time when Abraham took Ishmael and offered him up as a sacrifice unto God. However... It wasn't Ishmael, it was Isaac. So in my humble opinion, if that's the greatest day of Islam, and Islam is basically based upon the idea that Abraham did not take Isaac but took Ishmael, and if that's not true, then simply put, all of Islam is based on a complete lie. It's a fraud. Now, that's another story. But 
Now let's come over. But as you look, as the Muslims turn away from Jerusalem, when Solomon built the temple, he said that the temple would not just be for the people of Israel to worship, but he said when people in all the nations of the world, no matter what country they're in, when they want to pray, they can turn toward Jerusalem as a symbolic act to face, to face Jerusalem in worship. In other words, you don't have to be in Jerusalem to worship. See, Solomon already had a little bit of an idea that it's in spirit and truth. Right? Because he said, you don't have to even come up to Jerusalem. You don't have to physically be here. That's not the point. Worship is spiritual. But he said that you could be out in the nations and turn toward Jerusalem to worship. Now, it's interesting. I don't know if you know this, but in every, in every synagogue, they, they figure out which wall is facing toward Jerusalem and then and they put up a, a, a kind of a sign there, an indication, or they put the Torah scroll there or, or a plaque, it's called a Mizrach, and you, and you turn there and you face toward that when you pray in a Jewish synagogue. Now, the point here, I'm not trying to say that it's so important that somebody would turn toward Jerusalem when you pray, although again, if the body language of the Muslims is... is is rebellious and against God, so would the body language of turning toward Jerusalem. It's only symbolic, it's only physical, but it could represent something in heart of you turning toward the right direction. But the point is, is that I'm not talking so much about which way you point with your body, but what's going on in your heart. In other words, what's happened since the church has mostly taken the the first... um, interpretation of John 4, not that this is a time period where we won't be worshipping in Jerusalem, it will come back to that, but that the meaning of Jerusalem has come, come, uh, gone with. It's almost as if I see that the Muslims are turning their backs toward Jerusalem, the Jews are facing toward Jerusalem, and the Christians are just sort of, uh, you know, I, I don't know, you know, <laughs> where are we? Kind of wandering around lost. Now, of course, I would rather have it, I'd rather have somebody worshipping in spirit and truth and not facing in the right direction. That's a lot more important than somebody facing in the right direction. But if we want to understand the end times implications, if we want to tie what you're doing in worship here in Kansas City and the international network of prayer and worship toward the end times and the purposes of God and the fact that Jesus is going to come back, then you want to at least know it in your heart. You want to at least know that that's what's happening in your heart. Now, uh, so... And as we turn to worship, we want to understand that worship, eventually, we are looking forward to Jesus coming back. Do you also understand that that's part of worship? I mean, if Jesus doesn't come back, then we are forever betrothed and never married. Hello? I mean, don't we ever get out of this stage? I mean, we, we don't want to be the, the, the betrothal pattern. We want to be the bridal pattern. Hello? We want Jesus to come back. We want this thing to be consumed. We want to be able to be, to be with Him. The present state of worship is not the ultimate state of worship. The ultimate state of worship is that He's going to come back here and that we can be with Him. Part of our worship is a call for Him to come back. We're like a, a, a betrothed a woman saying, come, I want to be with you. I'm ready. I'm ready to give myself. I'm ready here for you. I mean, I don't want to stay this way forever. When's the date, buddy? You know, when, let's get this thing closed up. So as we worship, we're also inviting, we're inviting him to come back. And as we pray, we're praying, Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying, let your kingdom come. Do you pray that? Do you worship that? Do you mean that? I'm not so sure. 
Because most Christians do not mean that. I'm talking about spirit-filled, tongue-talking believers. You know, I'm talking about people that when you say, when you say, you know, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you don't mean that. What you mean is this earth is a stinking place and I can't wait to get out of here because I want to do in heaven what's in heaven. You have no intention of having it done here on earth as it is in heaven. But that's what the Bible says. And there's a big difference. And then and when we're supposed to pray, thy kingdom come. Well, if you're praying thy kingdom come, then throw that left behind series right out of here. Listen, some people, we, you know, in Israel, we share the gospel and everybody, there's this big issue now. Is, is the Gibson film anti-Semitic? I said the Gibson film's not anti-Semitic. The Left Behind series is anti-Semitic. You know, it's based completely on anti-Semitism. It's based on a theory that all the good things happen to the Gentiles and all the bad things happen to the Jews. So they figure when, when, the, when the tribulation comes to the end times, we won't be here. It'll happen to the Jews again. No way. Anyway, that's not where I want to go here. So what I'm saying is that, 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 but the point is this, is that we actually believe that Jesus is going to come back. And that he's going to set up his kingdom on this earth. We're saying, your kingdom come and Jesus come. We believe that. Our primary prayer and worship and intercession is to get him to come back and to get his kingdom to come, not to get you raptured out of here. We're inviting Him back into this planet. Jesus is in the process of invading this planet, not evacuating it. He's in the process of kicking the Antichrist out and becoming the kingdoms of this world, not leaving the whole thing to the Antichrist. Well, I guess the devil just won. No way. He wins. He comes back. We take the whole thing. Spirit, soul, body, finances, agriculture, everything. We get the whole thing. Government, it's all coming back under his hands. That's, by the way, why we believe in what we call the marketplace anointing or the Joseph Company. Or we, we believe in government and in finances. We, because we believe, and in, we believe in Hollywood. Not what's coming out of there, but what's going to come out of there. Hallelujah. That, that, that God can take over everything that's in this place. This place belongs to him. When we're worshiping him, we are worshiping him as earth creatures calling to the heavenly creature to come in and invade us and fill us up and, ta- and come into this place. It's an invitation because God is a gentleman and he's not going to come in unless we invite him. So we're here to invite him into this earth. So worship takes place in Jerusalem in the, when Jesus comes back. And at that point, he will set up his government there his both his government and his worship center in Jerusalem. Now, when he's there, since we're in the spirit, you can worship him from anywhere in the world at the same time in spirit and truth. But you'll also be able, if you want to, once a year, twice a year, three, whatever you want to, you can go up to Jerusalem and see him and talk to him and worship him there. Amen. See what I'm saying? Now, when we have unity in the spirit, because we are all filled with the same Spirit of God. We don't need any organizational uh, framework to, to make us unified. We are all unified by the Spirit of God with it, that is within us. However, that's for this present age. In the age to come, there will also be a human geograph- geopolitical organization to our unity. Because Jesus is going to come back. He's going to come back to a certain place. 
And, and part of our unity will also be that, that Jerusalem becomes the capital and the center of the millennial kingdom, of the messianic kingdom. So we'll also have a, 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 a political unity, a human society. Into, into, because God doesn't want us just to be spirit being. He created us beings that were physical as well as spiritual. He created us as soulish people as well as that. We will for, for eternity have a spirit, a soul, and a body. We will, have, we will be here physically on this planet. We will have a human, divine, godly society that will be with us and the Spirit of God will be with us. Since we're not, since we're not in that stage right now, the, 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 the political organizational part and the human society part is not that important. It's that we worship Him in spirit. But eventually His kingdom will come upon this earth and that will also be part of it because He is going to come back. Yeshua paid an awesome price to come in and take up a body. When he came and we, when he was born into this world and he was incarnated, and Mike touched upon this last night, it was not just to come and rescue us. He was also being incarnated because he wants to be incarnated. He wants to have a body. In other words, it wasn't like he said, well, I'm going to come up and take up a body for a little while to get you out of here, and then we're all going to leave our bodies and we're just going to float around like on a cloud somewhere. No. He came, he would have been incarnated anyway. Sooner or later, God wants to bring His kingdom into our midst. He wants to live inside of us. And He made us with physical bodies because He wants to live inside of a physical body. God is a spirit, but He does not want to be a floating spirit. He wants to be a spirit that lives inside of a human race, spirit, soul, and body. So He's coming in, and that's part of our worship. Hallelujah. All right. Now we're gonna. Now let's compare that verse. Now I'm gonna read another verse to you here. That was <clears throat> somebody. There you go. Somebody didn't realize. Somebody's leaning up against the. Uh... All right. Now we're in. When we just compare John four with the end of Zechariah fourteen, I want to compare the end of Zechariah fourteen with the beginning of Zechariah fourteen. What did we say? Now that the end of Zechariah fourteen is that there will be worship. In, in Jerusalem, Jesus will be there, and that will be the center of the kingdoms of the Messianic kingdom on this world. Let's compare that to the beginning of Zechariah 14, which says this, verse 2, Zechariah 14, 2. Yeah, that's good. Hallelujah. It says this, verse 14:2. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished, and half of the city will go into captivity. But the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And on that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem to the east. Now as I understand it, the same king... At the end of the chapter that we will be worshiping in Jerusalem is the same guys whose feet is going to touch the Mount of Olives at the beginning of chapter 14. At the end of chapter 14, we see worship in Jerusalem. At the beginning of chapter 14, we see a battle, a war over Jerusalem. You see... All of human conflict and all of, of the, the tension in the world, spiritual battle, all the spiritual battle and all of the human historical conflict all comes to a climax 
probably in our lifetime, in which all of the nations are going to gather against Jerusalem to battle. We need to understand that's where it's going. And when we talk about spiritual battle, folks, if you're not getting ready for that battle, that's the big battle. That's the, that's the end times. That's the culmination of all the battle in the world. If your concept of spiritual warfare isn't connected up with that war, I don't know what you're shooting at. You're not dealing with the main war. This is where the big conflict finally comes up. This is where the clash between good and evil takes place. You know, some of you know that I have four children. My two, my two boys are both officers in the Israeli army. And uh, my daughter will soon be in the Israeli army. I'll soon have, by the, this time next year, I'll have three kids in the Israeli army. But they're there for a purpose. They see that as a ministry. I mean, we're getting ready for that. Man, when, 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 when Yeshua comes back, I want to be on his side. I want my kids to be on his side. I want to be fighting on his side. He said, listen, those who, those who will come against Jerusalem in the battle, he's going to fight against you. Do you want Jesus to be fighting against you when he comes back? No. Hey, well, I just figure, why not fight for him? Why not fight for him? You know, we can be in the spirit and in the, and, and in the military. This spiritual battle. But that battle is coming. And why would all of the forces of evil in all of the history of the world eventually come out at this moment? You've got to realize that the devil is also doing this because he knows he's losing. This is the end, folks. We're not worried. He wins here, by the way. We're not worried about the Antichrist. I'm not worried about Islam. I'm not worried about the UN. I'm not worried about anybody. We win this thing. You only feel sorry for them. We want to preach to them so they won't have to go to hell after we kill them in the Battle of Armageddon. Hello. So we, so, but we have a, a victorious view of the end times. We want, to get, we want to pray for these people and get the gospel to them so that as many of those people can get saved. But God's arm has not grown short. God's not worried about the Antichrist. It's not even hard for him to understand that this is, this is not, it's not fun, don't get me wrong, but it's, it's easy. It's no problem in terms of the power to blast this thing out of the way. So, he's got, so all this battle is coming for him. Now why? Why would all of the culmination of all of the spiritual battle and all of the historical battles of all of history culminate in a battle of Jerusalem when almost every Christian I know, their theology says that Jerusalem is completely irrelevant? I'm telling you, the devil knows the Bible better than you do. What's he out there fighting for this thing for when you don't even think it means anything? Well, I don't think it means anything. I'm, I'm saved. I'm just looking to get raptured out of here and I'll be in Jerusalem in heaven. Isn't there's a heavenly Jerusalem after all, isn't there? So what am I worried about this one? There is a heavenly Jerusalem. And if you die and if you are saved before the time that Jesus comes back, you will hopefully be brought up to that heavenly Jerusalem. But it's not going to stay there, folks. It's going to come down. It's going to come back down here. It's a concept from the Bible that there are two Jerusalems. There's a heavenly Jerusalem up in the sky. And then there's an earthly Jerusalem underneath it where people live. And ultimately, when Yeshua comes back, finally, that Jerusalem from heaven will come down over the Jerusalem that's on the earth. And the two will be joined together. Heaven and earth will be joined together. Yeshua will rule over all authority that is in heaven and upon the earth. He will bring the two together and all will become one and His name will become one. 
So Jerusalem is the place where worship and end times prophecies come together. That's why the idea of the Israel mandate is not just a side issue here to the International House of Prayer and Worship. It's, it's, it can't be a, um, a side issue because that's where it's all leading to. You know? and, that, and when you pray and intercede in your spiritual warfare, you can't, you can't have spiritual warfare and be interceding if you're not, if you're not, if you're not praying about Jerusalem because that's where the big battle takes place. What are you going to be praying about when that battle takes place? And you say, well, I wouldn't even figure in praying at all. I figured I wasn't going to be here. Well, listen, you better get your armament on. God gave you spiritual armor, not because He didn't want you to fight. He gave you spiritual armor because He did want you to fight. And so that's, that one is connected there. And so we have this. So why would Jerusalem be so important? Why is the big battle there? Why is the greatest evil in the world today, which is, which is militant Islam, why is that all directed primarily against the people of Israel instead of primarily against the church? You, you, you wonder if maybe we're missing something here? It's got to do with this. I believe that the evil in the world is, is directed by a fallen angel by the name that we call him Satan. That's not his name, that's actually his title. That's his new name. He used to, his original name was Hillel ben Shachar. That's in the book of Isaiah. He was a good angel and he sinned. And he sinned and went in rebellion against God. And now he's leading the forces of evil that are against God. And the Bible says six times in the New Testament, it says that the devil is the God of this world. It doesn't mean he's God. It means in this current age time, he is still wielding enough influence over this planet that he is in control. That's even after, that's even in the epistles, that's after the time of, the, of Jesus. Even in this age, the devil is mostly in charge of what happens in human society, unfortunately. But he's not going to have that all the time. Now, from the devil's viewpoint, I'm not the devil, in case you thought I was, I'm not. But I want to explain something to you. From his viewpoint, the fact that people get saved and go to heaven is almost irrelevant. How does that affect the devil if someone gets saved gets his sins forgiven, dies and goes to heaven. Does that affect what the devil's situation on this earth at all? Does that threaten his control of this planet? Absolutely not. That's why I believe that all this talk about the pre-tribulation rapture, the devil is back there laughing. If not that he wrote it, but, uh, but I, I, I won't get into that. Now, are you all not with me on that? Do I need to teach a little bit on that? Hello? All right, now listen. The point is that the devil is secure on this planet until something happens. And it's not you getting saved. And it's not the rapture of the church. There's only one thing that threatens the devil. It's not salvation. It's not evangelism. It's not the rapture of the church. It is the second coming of Yeshua as a conquering king to come back over and take over this planet again. That's when the devil's authority on this planet comes to an end. And that's what he does not want to have happen. And that's why, when he, and the devil knows that the Bible says that Jesus is coming back to Jerusalem. And that's why Jerusalem is the center of all the terrorist activity in the world. Because the devil is trying to stop it. The reason why the Holocaust happened in the, in the 1940s was because the Jewish people were starting to come back to Israel. And the devil knows if the Jewish people get back to Israel, some of them are going to get saved. And some of them get saved, they're going to welcome Jesus to come back to Israel. And then Jesus is going to come back and I'm out of here. So he said, if I can kill them all before they get there, there's no way to be revival. 
And now that they're there, he's going to do everything he can to stop it. On the one hand, to try to stop the gospel from going to the Jewish people so they won't get saved to invite Jesus back. Or to attack, attack the Jewish people and try to get Jerusalem wiped out, keep it in the hands, Jerusalem in the hands of the Muslims. Or to scare the Christians around the world to stay away from Israel so they won't be praying for it. Because this is where the battle on the earth has to do with Jesus coming back. Is that helping you a little more spiritual battle? Spiritual battle is not primarily whether you get a parking spot when you go down to the shopping mall. Somebody just turned to me and says, is that mine? I thought it was mine. Now, I'm not saying you can't. I pray to get a parking spot too. In Jerusalem, you have to pray to get a parking spot or you'll never get one. So I'm not saying not to do that, but I'm saying there are greater battles in the kingdom of God that have to do with spiritual warfare as we're getting ready for, as we're getting ready for Yeshua to come back. So now he is coming back and that is what threatens the devil. And the devil is here. Now, by the way, he wants to get worshipped. The devil. And when he gets thrown off this planet, he's not going to get worshipped anymore. Jesus coming back. He was coming back to Jerusalem. He will set up his kingdom there. He will destroy everything that is coming against that to battle. Now, when you receive Yeshua as your Savior, you also have to receive him as your Lord. Now, some people say, well, I receive him as my Savior, not as my Lord. I don't know who would buy that one. Because it says in Romans 10, the simplest way to get saved is that you confess with your mouth that Yeshua is Lord. So how could you get saved? It says, he who says Yeshua is Lord, he is saved. So how can you be saved if you're not saying Jesus is Lord? You got that? So, unless you're just saying it and you don't mean it, which I don't know if that's doing you any good anyway. In other words, the act of salvation is the moment that you confess in faith and in covenant commitment that Jesus is the Lord and the boss of your life. That is what gets you saved. If you haven't done that, I don't know where it's at. But if He, say, if he is your Lord, He is not only your Lord individually, He is also the Lord of all the universe, and He is also the King of the Jews. He's also the King of Israel. He's also the King in Jerusalem that's coming to be worshipped. So if the guy that you're, the guy that we're, what we want to worship and who is our Savior, He is not just Savior, He is also a King. In fact, as I understand the Bible, he's just as much a king as he is a savior, if not more. In other words, he is, he is the king who came off of his throne to come to save us. Now, the fact that he came off of his throne to save us does not mean I say, well, you're my savior now and I don't want you as my king. We say, thank you, you're my king, you came down to save me, but I'm going to worship you now as king. And we want to restore him back as king. Now... If he said that the people in the world to come could all come up once a year to worship him in Kansas City, I would be preaching this about Kansas City. If he said it was Seoul, Korea, I would talk about Seoul. If he said it was New York City, I'd, but he happened to say that it was Jerusalem. He's the boss, folks, not me. He is the one. Now, one of the things that I want to tell you here is that our message is all about Yeshua. It's all about Jesus. It's got nothing to do with anything else. It's about Him. I prayed this this afternoon, but I want to get this on tape. I want to publicly confess the sin of the Messianic Jewish movement in the world. Paul said this, 
I come preaching to you, not preaching ourselves, but preaching Him, preaching Yeshua the Messiah, and Him crucified, not preaching ourselves. And I want, to, I want to confess this as one of the fathers of our movement in the world, is that we have too many times started preaching ourselves instead of preaching Him. We've started preaching about us being Jewish and about our customs and about our tradition and about our history and that's not the message. So, if you're here and you happen to be Messianic Jewish or you happen to be hearing that and that's what you've been preaching, don't get mad at me. Repent. And we have not been preaching the message. The message is about Him. It's not about us. And when we begin to think that something about us is the message, it stinks in the nostrils of God. And that's what we have done. The message is not about us. It's about Him. So I want to say that to the degree that we have been preaching about our culture and our identity as the message instead of Him, we have sinned. We cannot preach that. Now, on the other hand, I just confess, you know what that means? That means you're going to get it next. On the other hand, I don't want you to hear that if that's not what we're saying. Some of us are wrongly preaching ourselves and our culture and our people. That's wrong. But some of us are not saying that. And some of us, some of you are hearing that because you're just as racist and prideful as we are. The message is not that. When we're talking to you about Israel and about Jerusalem and about these end times prophecies, we're not talking about ourselves. We're talking about Him. He's the one coming back. What's not important that I'm Jewish, what's important is that He's Jewish. It's not important that I live in Israel. What's important is that He's coming back to Israel. What's important is not what, who's, who's, the, who's the Prime Minister of Jerusalem right now. The point is that He's going to be the Prime Minister of Jerusalem. And if you, if you don't understand that, you don't understand Him. So stop rejecting our message about Him because, because you think we're just talking about ourselves. Part of it may be wrong with our mouths, but part of it may be with your ears. This message is not about Israel as Israel. It's about Israel as the center place of the kingdom of Yeshua, of Jesus. It's a message about Him. And if you don't want to hear that, I want to ask you, just what Jesus are you talking about anyway? I'm talking about the Mel Gibson Jesus, you know. Listen, the Jesus that got crucified for you over there had a sign over His head and He said, the King of the Jews. Now I... How I interpret that, he's crucified there and he thinks, he just, he said, I'm going to write this up here, don't forget. <laughs> this is who I am up there. I'm the king of the Jews and I'll be back. This story doesn't end with the cross, it's coming back with that and I'm coming back to rule and reign and I'm the king of the Jews. And if you don't like, how do you think it? just take Jesus and not the king of the Jews part? Or... You accept him as king of the Jews as long as there's no Jews there. Huh? Think about it. How is he going to be king of the Jews if there's no Jews there? How is he going to be king of the Jews in Jerusalem if there aren't any Jews in Jerusalem? Somebody said to me once, well, I don't understand why, you know, why do you think this is important about the people, about the Jews going back to Jerusalem? Well, how is Jesus going to be the king over the Jews in Jerusalem if there ain't any Jews in Jerusalem? Are you thinking here? Are you mad at me or just thinking? I don't really care, but 
but the point is that the message is not about us. It's about Him. He's coming back to rule and reign. He's coming back to Jerusalem. And that's why the battle is over Jerusalem. The worship is in Jerusalem. The warfare is in Jerusalem. He preached in Jerusalem. He was crucified in Jerusalem. He's coming back to Jerusalem. So, you know what? I'm not being prejudiced about bringing this up. You're being prejudiced if you're not bringing it up. Just who is being racial here, huh? Who is rejecting this? Now I was thinking about this that that uh, you know today there's this big among among our people the Jewish people there's this big reaction now that the Gibson film about Jesus is anti-Semitic. Now you know anybody that goes to see that film, if you're a believer or even open-minded and not a believer, you know that the film has got nothing to do about anti-Semitism, not anti-Semitism by Jews, but nothing about that. It's about Jesus. You know, people come out of the film and say, wow, that was so awesome. Some, and, and some Jews say, well, that's anti-Semitic. What, it, it, say, it's not even talking about you, pal. Why are you talking about you? We're talking about him. You see? You take that, because they're taking that message and they're missing the fact that it's not talking about them. It's talking about him. But you can make the same mistake on the other side. And say, well, listen, we don't want to talk about that Jesus. We just want to talk about Him. But He's connected to Jerusalem. Don't reject the Israel mandate message because you think it's some narrow-minded racial cultural preference by us Jewish believers that are trying to trick you into something to give us money. Or get you to pray for us at least or something, you know. That's not what it's about. It's got to do with Him coming back. It's all about Him. But He is the King of the Jews. That's the way it is. And we're going to have to deal with that. It's a message about Him. It's not a message pro-Semite or anti-Semite. It's a message about Him. And He is coming back there to rule and reign. And we have to deal with it. The end times are leading up to a war. Now, when Yeshua says that, that, that He's coming back to rule and reign in Jerusalem, then that's where the battle comes. You need to realize that all of the forces of the devil are focused on one thing, and that's not to allow Jesus to get back to Jerusalem to rule and reign. Because he knows when, he, when Yeshua comes back to do that, the devil knows he's out. So he's out to stop that. That's what all the humanism is about. That in the UN. That's what all the, that's what all the terrorism is about in Islam. That's what all the spiritual battle is ultimately about that one thing. And the spiritual battle gets more intense as that moment gets closer. And everything that brings that moment closer, that's Yeshua coming back, that's what makes the spiritual battle more intense. But Jesus said that the, that the end times tribulations are like a woman who is in labor. What does that mean? Labor starts off little and gets more intense. It starts off in waves that are further apart and then they get closer together. That's what he's trying to say. He's saying the kind of tribulation that you're going to get in the end times is the same tribulation that you're getting now. There's no difference to it. It's just that it's going to be more intense at more rapid frequency, it'll be more focused, and that, but it's the same thing. We're already in this. We should already be battling this. Anybody that's really serving the Lord will be getting attacked. We should be in the, in the midst of this thing anyway. But as we get closer to that moment, the, 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 the intensity is building. But God wants it to happen. He's not afraid of the battle. He's planning to win this. But He wants it to happen. And when the devil sees the Jewish people coming back to Israel, he says, uh-oh, Stage one is happening. Jesus must be getting ready to come back. Let's kill them all. 
And then if he sees them there and he says, well, we're going to stop them from getting saved. And we go there. We're all in this together. We go there to share the gospel with people in Israel and they're starting to get saved. And hallelujah, this is happening. And, 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 and the devil is going crazy. He said, we've got to be able to stop this. And everything is focused on that thing to, to stop the second coming of Yeshua. That's why this battle is so intense. And God wants you in the battle fighting it with Him. Whether it's in prayer, whether it's in faith, whether it's in evangelism, whether it's in giving, whether it's in partnering, whether it's in serving, but something, we need to be able to be part of this battle. Now, I'm not saying that everybody here has got to be like my sons and go join the Israeli army, but we've got to have some part of you spiritually being part of this end times battle. This is what it's about. Who is going to rule this planet? The devil or Jesus? The Antichrist or Jesus? I believe it's Him. And we are here to help bring His kingdom to pass. Now, for Jesus to come back and rule and reign in Jerusalem, he, there has to be Jewish people there to rule and reign over. I mean, can you imagine a mayor of a city? The mayor of Jerusalem living there, there's all these buildings there and no people. Who voted him to be the mayor? I mean, he, there's nobody to be a mayor over. In order to be the mayor of Jerusalem, you've got to have people in Jerusalem, right? Now, so Jesus coming back to be the king of kings in the city of Jerusalem... Now, that means that there has to be people there who believe in Him and are worshipping Him there so that He can come back and be the King over those people. When He says He means the King of Jerusalem, He doesn't mean the King of the buildings there. He means the King of the people there. Which means He's got to be their Lord and Savior first. For Jesus to take up His place as the King of this planet, He has to take up His place as the King of Jerusalem, which means there has to be people in Jerusalem that believe in Him. Are you with me or am I going too fast? So that's why Jesus said that those, those in Jerusalem, even though they reject Him, have, he, he said, you won't see me again until you say, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. And that will happen. Jesus is coming back. And, and the people there will receive me. You say, well, what if they won't? Well, thank God we got the Holy Spirit on our side and Jesus, they will. You know, they will. It will happen. It's already promised it will happen. Now, I want to share one last thing about that that, that I want to tell you some good news. That um, the gospel is going forward in Israel today. The people are more sensitive and open, the Israeli people are more open to the gospel than ever before. Oh, I know, I forgot the last part of that thing I was saying. Now, there are many people from around the nations, like it says there in Zechariah 14, wonderful, good-hearted Christians from the nations of the world that come up to Jerusalem now and praise and worship God in Jerusalem. That's wonderful, I'm all for it. It's part of the fulfillment of prophecy. But that's not what Jesus is primarily talking about to be the king of Jerusalem. Because he also said, I'm the king of the Jews. Which means there's got to be not just wonderful, hearted, spirit-filled Christians from all the nations of the world that are going up to Jerusalem to worship. It also means there's got to be Jewish people who are believers, native-born Israelis, who are believers in Jesus, also there together with them. Or if it's not, he still can't come back. In other words, all of the praise and worship and all of the spiritual warfare and everything else has got to get down to the point, ultimately, that there are going to be Jewish people in Israel that are going to receive the Lord and make Yeshua their Savior and they're going to be part of welcoming Him back along with the rest of the nations of the world. If Jesus had just said, I'm the King of Jerusalem, but didn't add the word Jews in there, if He didn't say King of the Jews, He could say, well, we don't need the Jews. We'll just go up there. The church will go up there and we'll, we'll worship in Jerusalem. That'll be, that'll be enough. But it's not enough. 
Because he said, I'm king of the Jews and he can't be king of them unless they get saved and make him their king. He may be the one that should be their king, but he gave us all free will and he's knocking on the door of our hearts. And he can't be the king of the Jews until the Jews receive him there. And that's why I say you still have to have all of the, I'm for every single kind of ministry in Jerusalem and in Israel. I'm for the prayer. I'm for the service. I'm for the boat ministries. I'm for the health ministry. I'm for everything else. But listen, I'm an evangelist. And unless my people get saved over there, all the rest of it isn't worth it in my, in my viewpoint. Paul said, I magnify my ministry to the Gentiles in order that I might see some of my people saved. Sooner or later, it's got to get down to somebody there getting saved. I hope that's not offensive. But people have got to, the people have got to receive the gospel there and we're not afraid to do it. And we don't care what it is. We don't care what the obstacles are. We have to die doing it. We're willing to do that. Our people uh, have got to receive the gospel. And the good news is they are more open now to receive the gospel than they ever have before. Not only are they open to it, many of them are already receiving it. I talked to you a little bit about our congregation in, in Tiferet Yeshua that I work with there with the Sorkarams. And, and we've, had a, we've had a wonderful year. It's been amazing. We have seen so many Israelis get saved, we can't even handle it right now. That's why I'm, that's why I'm moving over from primarily doing evangelism now to establishing a discipleship training center because we can't, we can't pastor those who are in there right now. We need to raise up new leaders in there. Now, I'm not talking about huge numbers. We're up a little over 200 right now. But most of those are sober Israelis and we're coming. We are seeing a historic breakthrough that has never happened since the first century. It's an amazing. I see it happening. I watch it before there as we're in the congregation. Sometimes when I preach, I see the people getting saved and I'm, I'm going, this is incredible. God, I can hardly believe it. I've been praying about this for almost 30 years to happen and it's happening. I'm watching it happen. It's an amazing thing to happen. It's an incredible thing. Now, we may be only talking, you know, a, a, a 200. But listen, that's a breakthrough, folks. That's something that is happening. I want to show you something here, a little parable that Jesus said in Matthew 24. <clears throat> Matthew 24. She was speaking of, of the end times. And he gives a parable here. What you may have noticed had the, the parable of the fig tree. Verse 32. I'll read this into you in English, but then I'm going to explain it to you in Hebrew. Verse 32. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. Now, what's he talking about? The fig tree there we know is a symbol of the nation of Israel. I remember we were out sharing the gospel one day. And I came back and was sharing with some of my friends. And I said, you know, it's amazing. I said, our, our people's hearts have been hard for so long. And I said, now we're starting to share the gospel. And they're tender. They're starting to get soft. They're starting to get tender for the gospel. And when I said that, I read this verse and all of a sudden it hit me. What does it mean that the branches are getting tender? It means that not that they've received the gospel yet, but they're starting to get tender 
to receive it. I said, my God, we're seeing that right in front of our eyes. The people are not that they're all receiving the Lord yet, but they're starting to get tender of it. In every level, you heard what Rob Stern said about even the highest level of the governments, down to the people in the street. People are starting, they're not so hard about it anymore. It's like, well, you know, Jesus, you know, I'll listen. I'll, I'll talk about it. There's a tenderness happening. And I said, my God, for the first time in 2,000 years, the branches of the fig tree, the people of Israel, they're starting to stop being so hard against the gospel. They're starting to be a little receptive. And then he says this. The first thing is that they're going to be softened. And then he says, and then when it puts forth leaves, here it's talking about the first buds. It's not talking about a full tree. It's talking about the first little buds coming forth. And I realized... Those are the first people that are getting saved now. We're seeing the waves. We're seeing the buds. It's it's starting to come out. Not only that they're tender, but their people are starting to get saved. It may be just a little, but it's happening. Boop, 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 boop. It's happening here. It's happening. I'm going to say, my God, it's not. They're not just seeing they're tender. We're seeing they're starting. The leaves are starting to happen. It's happening right before our eyes. I, I remember five years ago. Some of you have heard this story from me before, but that, that I was uh, serving as the, the, the president of our Bible college in Israel, the National Bible College, and also as the, the director of our National Alliance. Two, you know, pretty high leadership positions. And I'm, I'm just going to cry out, and I said, God, this is doing no good. I don't want to be in a leadership position when nobody's getting saved. I said, just, I guess, don't, you know, Lord, you know, help. I, I'm, I'm willing to resign. And he opened the door for me to resign within, within, a, within a few months from that. And what happened was, one of our students at the, one of our Israeli students at the Bible college came up to me and said, Hey, listen, you want to come out and try sharing the gospel with my unsaved friends? I said, Let's do it. And she invited some people over her house. There were 45 people that came over. It was on the Feast of Tabernacles, as a matter of fact. And we came and she invited 45 people over her house, unsaved people. I went and just stood up there. We did some Jewish ceremonies for the Tabernacle. And I just got them, preached the gospel to them in Hebrew. I said, well, here goes, you know, let's just let it fly. And they loved it. I, was, I said, what? Am I awake? Hello. What's happening here? You know, this can't be happening. And she said to me, well, i got more friends than that. Do you want me to invite them next week? I said, let's go for it. And, we, and I just, when I saw that the people were open to the gospel, I just resigned from those two leadership positions. I said, get me out of this desk, man. I'm going to go out on the street and talk to my people. Glory to God. And I was amazed that, they, that the people were open. So we started seeing it was tender. And everywhere we went, people were open. We were amazed. Now, you've got to remember, when I say they're open and tender, I'm talking about Israelis. You know, I mean, they shout and scream and, and argue, and, and but you know, it's like ah, we're saying, "Hey, this is great. They're open, you know, <laughs> tender. You know, that's the way they are." But listen, that's that's okay. Uh, that's being open. You know, I can't remember. I can't tell you how many times I've been sharing the gospel with somebody, and the guy will be shouting and screaming at me, you know, and we'll just be sitting there, like, kind of hugging each other while we're doing it, you know, just kind of touching each other. You know, that's Israelis for you. Just, what's the matter with you? You're crazy. You believe in that kind of stuff. What's the matter with you? You know, it's, but, but, it's, but I'm saying people are, people are tender hearted. They're getting tender to the gospel. And so we looked and then we started saying, well, we started seeing that people were listening to the gospel, but we weren't able to get them to cross the line and really go in to receive them. And we said, well, how could we do that? And that's why I was sharing it in Jerusalem. That's when we moved three years ago to, to Tel Aviv. And he said, well, now we have to have a congregation to have to pull them into. Not just, not just on the street because they're tender, witnessing. We got a place to get them to get saved and get them into. And so we worked with our friends at Sorkarans and we, and we had this congregation. We set up the congregation on purpose for Isra- Sabra, native born Israelis, to come in and get saved. 
And it happened. It happened. I mean, we, it's, it's like a dream come true. We can't, we can't, I mean, you know, I've got some, I have a good friend of mine here from Korea. Mansuk, where are you back there? Wave your hand at me. There he is. A good friend of mine here from Korea. They got a church of 45,000 people in it. I mean, so don't get jealous of me. We got, you know, I mean, we had maybe 80, 90 Israelis, you know, receive the Lord this year. But, but listen, but we thought that was awesome. We thought that was awesome. You know, I mean, we'd never seen this. People come in, come in, you know, I would get up there and preach the gospel. And, you know, anybody want to receive the Lord? And people would say, yeah, and we go and pray with them. And they join the congregation. We're going like, this is incredible. You know, it's happening. And so what it says here is not just when the branches get tender, but the leaves start to pop out. And we're saying, it's happening. It's happening. And he said, then, when that happens, the first stage is that they're tender. That means when we started witnessing to them around five years ago. And then... When the buds, the leaves start to come out, that started happening around two, three years ago. People started receiving the Lord. And then it says, know that the summer is near. Now, what, what does that mean, the summer is near? It, what it means is this. In Hebrew, the word for summer is ketz, and the word for, for harvest is katsir. It's a play on words here. Jesus is saying, when that begins to happen, you know that the big revival is at hand. When you see that first they're about getting tender, you know that there'll be some leaves. And he said, and when you see some leaves, you know that the time is getting close. The end times, big harvest is coming. Both the revival and the war are getting under the way. You get ready for it to happen. And I know right now, we got the tender roots. And we got the tender branches, and then, and then we got the leaves coming forward, when I'm just stupid enough to believe that the, that the big harvest is coming right up after it. Glory to God. Now the Bible says that the harvest, the big harvest is at the end times. Yeah, but it also says that the tribulation is at the end times. Hey man, we're supposed to be harvest oriented, not tribulation oriented. I've said this before, but I say it in a joking, but I'm saying this. I'm wrong about the pre-tribulation rapture, and the rapture is before the tribulation. I'm not going. I'll have time to be with Jesus afterwards. I'm here to bring a harvest. I'm here to see my people come to the Lord. And if that's going to be the greatest time when our people are going to come in, if I'm willing to die for that, Paul said he'd be willing to go to hell for it. But you don't even want to be uncomfortable about it. But so if we have to suffer a little tribulation, if we have to go to jail, if we have to die, so what? What difference does it make? We've got to be here to bring the harvest in and we've got to get ready to go for it. I'm telling you, the branches are tender and the leaves are popping up and the harvest, the big harvest is right at hand. And I don't believe it's a coincidence that God has waited this long for this to happen. I, I, I believe that He's waited, for instance, with this Gibson film. Praise God. I mean, I was, I mean I've been praying for years thinking, God, you know, what is Hollywood doing? They are dumping garbage into the world. I said, how, how are you allowing that? What is going on? Why, do, why don't you just, you know, nuke, you know, West Los Angeles. Just, 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 you know, just wipe out Hollywood, you know. What is it doing there? You know, how are you living? But, you know, God says, I'm in control. I'm in control. Do you realize in two weeks that that film about Jesus has become the most popular film in the history of the world? What does God care with all that pornography went out first? He said, it's mine. And I'm going to use it for my purposes. Glory to God. I think, but you know what's amazing? 
all the, all the publicity that goes out about all the pornography and everything else, they're lying to you. That's not what people want. That's not what people really want out there. The two most popular films in the history of mankind, one is about the crucifixion of Jesus and the other is a, an allegory, a parable about the second coming of Jesus. If that's not the sovereignty of God, then I don't know what is. Glory to God, if God can turn Hollywood around and get Him to use it for the sake of the Gospel, then we can believe for anything to happen. And all these things are happening at the same time. I believe it's connected. I believe it's connected. I'm just stupid enough to believe that because we see people in Israel starting to come to the Lord, that God's going to let this film out, timed right out now, because our people, the rabbis are all going to go in Israel and tell, tell all of our people, don't watch that film! <laughs> you know, come on now! God didn't make us rebellious for nothing. Hallelujah. You know. And I'm telling you, but God, God is working this out. We are looking at a time of harvest. You know, why do you think, why do you think God has so many people that are believers in Korea? It's not just for Korea. God's got His eyes on that billion people in China. He's got, his, he's got his eyes on another billion people in Southeast Asia. He's got his eyes on that billion people in, in, in India. It's all coming down. It's all coming down. And God wants to have that happen. That, you, know, you know that the next, elect, the, next Olympiads, the next Olympics is going to take place in China? That means they're going to have to open the doors to Western culture to come in there. Now, unfortunately, they're going to get all the pornography and all everything else. Going to, but the gospel is also going to come in there. And God's got his eyes on India. He's got his eyes on India. And among all the other things in the world, he happened to give a revelation about the personal computer to some guy named Bill Gates, who happened to then turn out to be the richest man in the history of the world, who somehow now has a burden for India and is pumping hundreds of million dollars into India. That's on God's in control of these things. And he's going to do it. The big harvest is at hand. The, the, he, said, he said, listen, Jesus said, are you starting to understand this one sentence parable right now? He said, you look at the fig tree. And when its branches get tender, when the people start to get soft to the gospel. And when the leaves first start popping, when a few people start getting born again, and it starts happening, he says, you get ready, because that means the big end times harvest is about to happen. And it's getting ready, and it's going to happen, and you're going to be part of it, and we're going to be part of it. And that's why we've got to have this network of prayer, and a network of evangelism, and we're just going to believe for the whole thing just to come right on down, and Jesus is going to take the whole thing right on down and come back, and be king over this world. Hallelujah. Let's do one last verse and close. Hallelujah. Isaiah 49. See, we have to look at the end times as... uh, with a heart of evangelist, because the end times is also the hardest. We also have to look at the heart with a prophet. A prophet is not concerned with when is this going to happen and what's this date. That's not a heart of a prophet. A heart of a prophet is consumed with, with, the, with the lordship of Jesus and him being made a king. He's consumed with the honor of Jesus. And that's why a prophetic heart is consumed about in Jerusalem, because that's the place where he's coming back. 
That's what we want. Not some silly eschatological games. That's not what we're talking about. And, and, and some weird theologies. We're talking about a heart of an evangelist to see a big harvest. We're talking about a prophetic heart to see the lordship and the kingship of Yeshua established upon this earth. That's what God wants to see us approaching this on. Hallelujah. Isaiah 49. Here's a prophecy about, about the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus Isaiah prophesied about 700 years before the time of Jesus. And he said this about him. Let's look at um, verse 5 and 6. Isaiah 49, verse 5 and 6. And now the Lord says, Who formed me from the womb to be his servant? To bring Jacob back to him. He says, Jesus saying, God formed me in Miriam's womb to bring the people of Israel to repent so that Israel has gathered him. For I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord and my God shall be my strength. Verse 6, indeed he says, but it's too small of a thing that you'd be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob alone and restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles. So we said in the Hebrew, or legoyim, a light to the nations, that you should be my salvation. And of course the word salvation is the name Jesus. That you should be my Yeshua to the ends of the earth. God said of, of him, of the coming Messiah, who would be the son of David, to be the king in Jerusalem, the king of the Jews, the king of Israel. He said it's too small of a thing for you just to be the king of Israel. He said, I'm going to make you be the king of all the world. So in order to do that, he said, then the gospel's got to go out to all the nations of the world. That's why Jesus told his disciples, you preach the gospel. He said, first of all, they came to him and said, are you going to restore the nation of Israel now? See, they were thinking just the first half of that verse. You know, Jews, what do we care about the Gentiles? You know, are you going to restore the nation of Israel now? And Jesus was thinking about this verse. It's too small a thing, just the nation of Israel. He said, we're going to go all the nations of the world. So he said, before we restore the nation of Israel, he said, you're going to get filled with the Holy Spirit and you're going to go out and preach the gospel everywhere, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, all over the world until you become a light to all the nations of the world. And then we will come back and restore the nation of Israel so that we'll be uh, the nation of Israel and all the rest of the nations. It's interesting here that it said... And he said, this is too small of a thing for you just to restore Israel. I will also give you to the light of the nations. Now, that was a revelation to our people that God was also going to make Jesus to be a light to the nations. But to the church, it's the other way around. They need a revelation to understand that God is also going to restore the tribes of Jacob. Now, I'm going to give you all of Jewish theology and all of Christian theology on one foot on each side. Jewish theology is, you know, God's going to save us, we don't care about the Gentiles. And the church theology is, God's going to save the Gentiles, we don't care about Israel. But that's not true. He said, just just as it was a revelation 
to the Jewish disciples in the first century that God was going to not only restore the nation of Israel, He was also going to be a light to the nations. So it is a revelation to the disciples of Jesus among the nations that He's not only preaching the gospel to the nations, but He's also going to restore the nation of Israel. And most people in the nation say, I don't know, what's that got to do with anything? You know, just as our people said, what's that got to do with anything? I mean, we're here, you know, but it's also. It's not instead of, it's also. Israel thinks it's Israel instead of the nations. The church thinks it's the church instead of Israel. No, it's also. It's also. God is going to both restore the tribes of Jacob and He is also going to be a light to the nations. And the gospel has gone out all around the world. And it's also now coming back to the nation of Israel. And that's why, one of the reasons why God had to allow for the temple to be destroyed and the people to go into exile. If not, our people would have just stayed right there. They would have said, that Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, Haifa, that's enough. <laughs> you know, forget it. You know, we don't care. But they said, no, he, he had to destroy that to force them out. Well, stay with me, I've got 60 seconds. I'm going to tell you one last thing here. Hang on with me. God had to destroy the nation of Israel because the believers at that time who were all Jewish were so stuck in an Israel-only paradigm that they could not even see it. God had to physically blast them out of the place till they would get out and get the gospel out and to create the church because we were too thick-headed to be able to receive it. And now in these end times, after 2,000 years, God has physically brought the people of Israel back into that land as a reverse miracle to get to the thick heads of the Christians to say it's not just a light to the nation, it's also a restoration of the people of Israel. As a big a miracle as it was to kick our people out to get the nation to the gospel as a sign to our people that the, the power of God... That the plan of God is not just for Israel, it's also for the nations. You've got in the nations have got to say the plan of God is not just for the nations, it's also for Israel. Because our people have to say, why did we get exiled? If we're the chosen people and Israel is the chosen land, what are we doing for 2,000 years in the exile? Seems to me like we must have missed something. But I want to ask that the other way around. What are Christians around the world thinking? It's a coincidence? Is it a coincidence that the Jewish people are back in the land of Israel after 2,000 years? That is going to blow your theology. And I, 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 from the minute that Israel came back into being as a state in 1948, although all Christian theology, most of it was against it, sooner or later the theology is going to change. It's like you cannot believe in healing, but when somebody gets healed, you've got to change your theology. You may not believe that there's a place for the nation of Israel, but they've been regathered to their nation after 2,000 years. Sooner or later, pal, you're going to change your theology. So start changing now. It's a slap in the face. What's going to happen? I mean, what can you do? Anybody that reads the Bible and sees thousands of places that speaks about Israel, 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 and all the prophecies about them coming back and restoring the land, and then it happens miraculously after 2,000 years, what is your theology going to say? It's irrelevant? Does it mean anything? It's a coincidence? It's a historical coincidence? And that all the terrorism and all the evils of the world is directed against that, and all the spiritual world, that's all irrelevant too? Is it all irrelevant? No, it's not. 
God has raised up Jesus not just to restore the, the, the tribes of Jacob, but also to be a light to the nations. That's what our people had to hear. You've got to read it backwards. You've got to read it that he's not, he's, he's not only, it's a small thing for him to raise up to be a light to the nations. He is also going to restore the tribes of Jacob. Because Jesus is the king of kings of all the nations. And he's also the king of the Jews, the king of Israel. And, we're going to, and God put this whole thing together, hallelujah, for Jesus to be able to come back. Hallelujah. That's enough for this session. Let's pray. Father, we, we want to turn our eyes unto Yeshua, unto Jesus. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And Yeshua, we want to say to you, Jesus, it's all about you. It's all about you. You are the center of everything. You're the center of our hearts. You're the center of the world. You're the center of heaven. You're the center of the earth. You're, and you're also the center of Jerusalem. And Lord, we want to preach you for who you are. You're both the Son of God and you're also the Son of David. You're the king of heavenly Jerusalem and you're the king of earthly Jerusalem. And Lord, we just want to worship you this day. And Lord, we want to pray for the purposes of this conference, of this ministry, and of the International House of Prayer, and of all the other saints of God that have come up here, and all the other ministries that are represented here. Lord, that we will fulfill the purposes of God upon the earth, Lord. That we will see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. We will see Israel get restored. And we will see Yeshua come back to rule and reign. And we just say the devil can lump it. Hallelujah. And we thank you, God. That Yeshua, you are Lord, you are the winner, and we worship you today. Lord, we thank you that we can learn to worship you as the king in Jerusalem. Sooner or later, we're going to have to worship you as the king of Jerusalem, and we want to start practicing now. Hallelujah. We worship you as Savior, we worship you as God, and we also worship you as the king of Jerusalem. We worship you, Lord. Hallelujah. All the nations of the world will come to Jerusalem to worship the King. Father, we thank you for bringing this together here. This threefold cord of worship, of end times prophecy, and of the Israel mandate. In the name of Yeshua. Amen. Amen.